0: you to turn in your bibles if you would to James chapter 4 James 4 because this takes this passage takes this principle of what rules the heart into your relationships and you can you can absolutely say this what rules your heart will shape and control your relationships yes we're still on the first principle uh, we will we will move beyond this principle believe it or not but we're still on this first principle this is the foundation of everything we're going to look at uh, as we consider this relationship of marriage James 4 turn there what causes fights and quarrels among you? what a great question why in the world do we have so much conflict in our lives? have you noticed it? I mean, how many of you have lived a conflict-free 2008? Last month. Last week, no instance of impatience or irritation. Yesterday, not one moment of impatience with somebody in your life. Today? It's amazing. Somebody raised their hand, but their spouse was going like this. So... We know that wasn't true. Uh, it's, and you know, think about it, it doesn't take very much. Let's say you're, it's late at night and you're shutting down the house for the evening and you go into the kitchen, to turn off the kitchen lights and you notice on the counter is a nice, fresh, plump bagel. And it's well wrapped. You touch it, it's still soft. And you, you name that in your mind as your breakfast. That's what I have for breakfast. Be real quick, I can toast that baby quickly, cup of coffee, I'm out of here. That night you go to bed with bagelistic dreams. You awake in the throes of your own bagelism. You're getting ready and you're thinking about that bagel You're thinking about how uh, quick your breakfast is going to be And you go downstairs, you open the door to the kitchen You look at that counter And you can't believe it Your, get the pronoun, your bagel is gone And you can feel the emotional temperature change and without stepping a step, you begin to yell, Who ate my bagel? <laughs> as, if it's, as if it's the crime of the century. Now don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You do. Or you drive into the driveway and there's a bike laying across it. Wow! It's a bike. It's a hunk of metal, and it it can produce rays. You get out of the car and you say, "Stupid brick. How many times have I told you?" It's a bike. <laughs> or you you rush to the bathroom. <laughs> because you have bodily functions that you need to take care of. And there's no toilet paper on the roll. You don't say to yourself, well, God's sovereign. He's obviously planned this moment for me. I don't know what he wants to teach me. You're, you can't believe it it's toilet paper or or you you like to have the uh, toothpaste rolled up because that meets the needs of your sense of order and you go in there and it's been squeezed You think, forget it, I'm not going to buy toothpaste again. (laughs) They can brush their teeth with baking soda. (laughs) Uh, No, I'll buy some, but I'll hide it. (laughs) It's toothpaste. It doesn't take much for there to be conflict. And you know, far from leading a conflict-free life, your life is just marked by conflict all over the place. It's everywhere. It's in every relationship. It doesn't take much. I mean, a family getting into a car can be a major source of war-making. Right? It's, It's a car. There's seats in it. The whole car is going in the same direction. Okay, look at James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now notice his answer. Don't they come from those people that you live with? Is that what your Bible says? You wish your Bible said that. But it doesn't. It says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and it goes on. Now, we've got to look at the answer here. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you. Wives, I know you've been angry. Husbands, I know you've been angry. Don't even try to tell me you haven't. I love couples who come to me and say, we've been married for 20 years and we've never had a conflict between us. And I I have a way of changing that (laughs) as I talk with them. (laughs) They'll have the first one right in front of me. So where's that coming from? Now here's what you have to understand that James is saying. Somehow some way he is connecting your anger to your desires. Somehow, some way, your irritation, your impatience, your anger, that low-grade nastiness that goes on in our relationships is not first caused by the people in your life. It's first caused by what's in your heart. And James connects it to the desires in your heart. Now, we don't believe that. We say things like, He makes me so angry. Listen, if James is right, and he is, people and situations do not cause your anger. People and situations are the occasion in which your anger gets excited and expressed, but they don't cause it. Your anger is caused by something inside of here. I always use the example of traffic. You know, you're sitting in traffic and you're pounding on the dash. This traffic makes me so angry. That sounds logical until you look out your window and in the car next to you is a lady who's in the very same traffic and she's got a makeup kit open in her lap and she's putting on her lips and she's got a big smile on her face. She's thinking God must love me because he's given me another few moments to reach a higher level of gorgeousness before I face my day. Now, if traffic made you angry, everybody in the traffic would be summarily angry. But they're not. Because the man who is angry and the woman who is happy bring different desires to the traffic. Your anger is connected to your desires. Now, there's two things we need to say about that. First of all, James is not arguing that it's wrong to desire. When you quit desire, and guess what? You're dead. Everything you do is the product of desire. You wouldn't be here this evening if it were not for desire. Second thing. Notice in your Bibles, the word evil isn't before the word desire. He's not saying that sinful conflict is caused by evil desires. It's not what he's arguing here. So if he's not saying desires are wrong and he's not talking about evil desires, what is he talking about? Here it is. Don't they come, quarrels and fights, from your desires, what does it say next? That battle that wage war within you. James is ripping back the curtain and he is revealing to us an incessant war that takes place on the hearts of everybody in this room. Everybody, all of us, have this war going on in our hearts. This is an inescapable war and its war will continue to rage till we're finally in eternity. It's a war of desire. It's a war between what God wants and what you want. A war between God's plan and your plan. God's purpose and your purpose. God's will and your will. God's kingdom and your kingdom. Now think about this. Whatever set of desires rule my heart that set of desires will shape my responses to you. Wives, hear me say this. When you're angry at your husband and you say and do unhelpful things, you are not angry because your husband is a sinner. You're angry because in his sin he's in the way of what you want. Husbands, when you're angry at your wife and you say and do things that you should not say and that you should not do, you are not angry because that person is a sinner. You're angry because in their sin they're stepping on what you want. You know that's true. You see that even if you pay attention, you'll see that war break out. Think about this. Have you ever had one of those moments, I know you have, in your marriage where you knew you were going to have a difficult conversation? And so, we all do the same thing. We put the DVD in our brain and we play the conversation ahead of time. Have you done this? And you try to imagine what that person will say and you imagine what you'll say in response. And you play four or five different renditions of the conversation. Uh, trying to cover all the con- contingencies. Sort of choose your own adventure. And, and, and you're, you're, you're armed with desires of peace, love, understanding, reconciliation. Uh, you really want this to be a good conversation. A conversation that results in unity. And so you practice ahead of time. You get into the conversation... And you're quiet of spirit, you're soft of tone, you're really trying to bring reconciliation, agreement, peace. And somewhere in the middle of that conversation, your husband or wife says something hurtful or dismissive to you. And you can feel the emotional temperature change. And all of a sudden, you don't want unity anymore, you want to win. You want that person to say, You're right. You're the rightest person I know. I bow to your rightness, oh right one. Now, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. You started out in the kingdom of God, you ended up in the kingdom of self. You weren't angry because that person was a sinner. You're angry because they're in the way of what you want. I'm probably going to hurt your feelings here. But I think it's my job. Reflect of how little of your anger in the last month had anything whatsoever to do with the kingdom of God. doesn't have anything to do with the kingdom of God. Very seldom are we angry because we have such a zeal for God's purpose. I'm angry because I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. I know exactly what I want from you. I know exactly how I want it. I know exactly where I want it. I know exactly how it's supposed to be delivered. And I'm angry because you don't get it. You see, in your marriage, you don't need anger management. That's the world system. You know what you actually need? You need worship realignment that's what you need you know if I'm if I'm standing before my wife in a rage with my fists clenched and I'm saying to her you ought to be glad I'm a Christian (laughs) now is that a good step? I guess that's a good step but that's not where God wants me you know where God wants me? He wants me in that situation and I don't feel the anger anymore Because in that situation, He's ruling my heart more than those other things that once ruled my heart. Now that actually leads us to the next principle. I know you're so excited because you've tried to write 9,000 things in this little spot on your notes. Well, here it is. Sin, principle two, sin causes us to shrink our lives to the size of our lives. Turn, if you would, with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Paul is doing here a bit of a defense of his ministry. And... Listen to what he says here. I'll jump in in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who live should no longer, Was it say next? Live for themselves. Say it. Live for themselves. But for him who died for them was raised again. This is what sin does. Look up here. Sin turns me in on myself. Sin makes me live in the claustrophobic confines of my own little self-defined world. Sin makes me obsessed With my wants, my needs, my feelings. I wake up in the morning, I'm not greeted with love for others. I'm not greeted with the purpose of God. My mind is immediately filled with what? You know this is true. Your your mind is immediately filled with what? All the things you want for that day. My wants, my needs, my feelings... And that that exists in so many areas in our lives, and and we're we're obsessed with us, we're focused on us, we're dominated by us. It's I want, 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 Does that make the point? That's us. I want to drive on roads paid for by other citizens who choose not to use them. I want chocolate at ready reach any moment of my existence. I want a wife who says, Yes, dear. Of course I agree. It's you. I have loved living in the glory of your wisdom. I can't believe that I've been blessed to be with the glory that is you. I want children to say, of course, Dad, oh wise one. I would be glad to. I want neighbors to not only plant flowers in their yard, but my yard. I want a restaurant that never has bad service. I want a grocery store that never has lines. I want to go to a department store that has everything that I'm looking for at easy reach with straight aisles all the way through the store. <laughs> Not those. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And things that are not important rise to levels of importance because I am so obsessed with my wants, my needs, my feelings. I wish I could say to you that I have every day of my marriage cared for Luella more than me, but it would be a lie. I think this is so operative in our lives that often what we think is love is not actually love at all. Think about this. It could be that I'm attracted to you not because I love you, but I'm attracted to you because I love me. And so a woman is shopping for a man who she thinks will be the completion of the dream that she has for her life. And she finds this guy. She is, she's just excited because this looks like the man. She's very attracted to him. She wants to be with him. She hangs on the sound of his voice. She doesn't do that because she loves him. She's doing that because she loves her. And she thinks this man will deliver to her the things she wants in her life. The only problem is, he's doing the same thing. He thinks he's found the woman that will complete his dream. What's going to happen? There's going to be a horrible collision followed by an explosion of their dreams because it was never love in the first place. I was attracted to you because I love me. I think that goes on all the time. I think there are marriages in this room that are struggling because you never had pure biblical love for one another. You had powerful attraction that was really uh, not love of the other. It was romance that was actually self-love in a costume. It was marital Halloween.